All right, everyone, welcome into episode 10 of Without a Mic podcast. I'm Roger Baugh. We've got Spencer Cook and my brother, Kevin Baugh, is joining us. Kevin, hello. say hello to everyone. How's it going? So we are super excited today to be covering, as we mentioned before, The Book of Boba Fett, the TV show that everyone's been watching. Hopefully you've been watching. This episode does have spoilers for the show. So if you haven't seen it, pause it, go finish it up, and then come back and hear our thoughts. Yeah, it works. This has been, I mean, the TV analysis has been something that we've talked about for a while because... I mean, originally and probably still up to date, Roger is more into television than I am, but it's been something that I've been coming around to a lot more. And Boba has been such a strong case for television. And so I'm excited to talk about this. Um, I think we should just dive right in and and go from there. So Boba Fett, uh, written and directed by Jon Favreau. For those of you who don't know who Jon Favreau is, um, he also directed Iron Man. He was in Iron Man. He played Happy. Um, he's also in the recent Spider-Man No Way Home. He plays Happy. Um, he's in a lot of a lot of different films as kind of a comedic actor, but he's kind of made himself known as a writer and director. He also directed Elf. So if you love <laughs> Elf, and it is well known as one of the best uh, Christmas movies, uh, he's the one. So he's the creator, um, I think is interesting. We talked about this before we started. Um, he's the creator, but it was directed by many different people. So I don't have that list, but certain names are, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard, um, actually, Robert Rodriguez, yeah, Steph Robert Green, and go. Kevin Takarian. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many, many people. That guy, is, Kevin. Yeah, yeah exactly. which is similar to uh, Kevin the Mandalorian, T. right? So, yep. and I like that. I mean, it stars, and I'm going to probably butch, you know, butcher these names, but Tamira Morrison, who plays Boba Fett, who also played Jango Fett in the original prequels, um, mm-hmm. who also played, I forgot his name, but the commander who was tight with Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode Commander three. Cody. Yes, there you go. Um, and then this one I found interesting. So the female counterpart, I totally forgot her name, her character. Nick Nawin. That's her. Uh, Fennec Shand. Shand. Fennec Shand, mm-hmm. yeah. So she actually voices Mulan in the original Mulan animated uh, movie. And I that's did right. not know that. So that's really cool. Another fun um, fact, she got this role without auditioning. Huh. She met okay. the the director of one of the directors. And so uh, she just hit it off and, and expressed a love of Star Wars. And when the role came up, they they just said, yeah, you've got it. So fun little and fact about her. She's done live action, like uh, action roles before. She was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as one of the main characters. And she does a lot of fighting. And I'm, I believe she does her own stunts as well, which is cool. Huh. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, I've got another, uh, uh, what's his face? Green Goblin. Uh, William Defoe. Yeah, William Defoe, who said, I will not join this unless I get to do my own stunts. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was an interesting series. I'm, we, we brought Kevin on, you know, obviously he's a, a film enthusiast. He's a Star Wars enthusiast. And I'm, I'm excited to understand your thoughts on this film. I'm excited to understand Roger's thoughts. Um, but yeah, let's dive right into it. Um, what were your thoughts? So just overall, before we dive into the nitpicky, did you guys like it? Did you dislike it? What, what did you think? Oh, you want to go first, Roger? Sure. Yeah. So um, I think this, before I start, I think this is a show, this specific season can be broken up into two parts. Um, it's really a, a definitive part one, part two. There's seven episodes, episodes one through four follow 
the history of Boba Fett sort of leading up to the big climax of this season, which is episode seven. But episode four takes a, a very hard stop. And then it starts sort of Mandalorian story to bring kind of bring them together. So my thoughts overall were that it was sort of a it was an interesting choice to sort of continue the Mandalorian story through this show, um, because at the end it felt like, you know, they, they obviously focused a lot on Boba Fett, but um, I think it was an interesting choice to continue the Mandalorian story as well through the book of Boba Fett show. Afterwards, I don't know if we'll see another book of Boba Fett show or if it will just continue with the Mandalorian. Um, but overall, I think uh, it, it was definitely had a lot of entertaining moments and definitely some things I think that could have been different. Uh, what about you, Kevin? What are your thoughts as a as knowing the Mandalorian lore and sort of the history of <laughs> Boba Fett? Um, what sort of uh, stood out to you? Um, so overall, I really enjoyed the show. I'm glad mm-hmm. that it even got made like it's kind of a testament to you know uh how how much the fans love this character you know uh, and it wouldn't be the first time you know uh the fan love sort of brought characters back from the dead i mean darth maul got brought back in clone wars and uh, even had a little cameo at the end of solo just because the fans wanted to see more of him mm-hmm. and uh so continuing on with that sort of uh trend of resurrecting these characters and you know getting more out of them than George Lucas had originally originally intended for him is really cool to see. Like I'm 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 like from when I heard that this was actually being made to seeing the first trailer, I was like, I can't believe this actually exists. You know, <laughs> we're getting to see Boba Fett in his own show. And um, overall, I really enjoyed the season. I liked the action. You know, overall the whole story. You know, the the music. You know, all the shots. Everything mm-hmm. was, just looked really nice, and I enjoyed it. Um, that being said, there were a few things that kind of um if i was making this i probably would have done differently um i really enjoyed like you said the first four episodes are kind of this sort of the return of boba fett arc um um, i think my favorite part of the whole show is just him you know clawing his way out of the sarlacc and you know breaking out of the sand and like you know just through sheer you know force of will Mm -hmm. and um sort of this journey he makes you know through being a slave of the Tuscans and then, you know, gaining their trust, being part of them and then, you know, moving on through it. And um, I, I also really enjoyed the Mandalorian show, but I thought it was a bit strange that the Mandalorian sort of got his own two and a half episodes in the middle mm-hmm. of, of all, an already very short show and a very short season with just seven episodes in it. So overall I enjoyed it, but, I wouldn't call it perfect. <laughs> I think I can agree with that. That's a good way to put it. Uh, what about you, Spencer? What are your, what's sort of your first impression? Yeah. Um, so ultimately I, I wasn't a fan, but to Kevin's point, I was very impressed that they created this show. I think the mm-hmm. fact that they created an original story within a popular franchise, there's obviously going to be gaps. There's going to be questions that are not answered. There are going to be these moments but the fact that John Favreau went to the drawing board and not only created the Mandalorian, but then created a Boba Fett series is pretty impressive. So I, my initial thought was I was a little underwhelmed. I, I kind of had high expectations because Boba Fett's a beloved character, right? I mean, he's a popular mm-hmm. bounty hunter. He's a popular character, not only in the films, but in the games. And so I think a lot of people, you know, at least the conversations I've had with Star Wars fans, 
you know, they, they wanted a little bit more from Boba. They want a little bit of a different, you know, take. And I kind of have some notes on that, but ultimately uh, I was a little underwhelmed, but I like that they, they executed on bringing this to, to life. Cause that's, you know, no small accomplishment in itself. So let me ask you guys, I'll just leave this open for you both, but what did you think, what were some of the highlights for you um, episodes or moments in the show? Cause I think I think we, I think it's fair to say we all have some sort of criticism and I think we can get to that, but I always like to start with the positives. So what episode and or moments sort of stood out to you and, and why? Yeah, go well, ahead. I, I, like I said, I really enjoyed the beginning, like just kind of, you know, watching the first few episodes was just this really cool, like experience, just, you know, seeing Boba Fett on screen to, as Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett and, like you know sort of surviving and you know building his way up to uh where he ultimately ends up in the show um i really enjoyed uh the very few flashback scenes we got to camino which was yeah. like i was not expecting that at all and they even got daniel logan back in here to to play a young boba fett which i didn't realize up until recently um oh that was actually who, him yeah he it's daniel logan who played him in episode two um, he did uh, some of the some some of the acting work for that, so that was cool. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed that, and then also just any any action scenes we got to see with involving Boba Fett, you know, firing rockets, you know, going ham, it was really nice to see. Although I would have liked to see more of that, for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I think um, one thing that I really liked was sort of the kind of like you mentioned the struggle because I think it the Mandalorian sort of came in as this character who was sort of well established you know he was already part of the Mandalorian um this guild you know he had established himself as a bounty hunter he was already making money and then he found you know Grogu Baby Yoda and that sort of set him on a different path but with Boba Fett this was very much like a redemption story you know he was sort of fighting against what he had always been oppressed by which i think was a cool storyline um and i think that was more prevalent early on in the show but it sort of got lost a little in the mix of everything that happened and i really wish they had stuck more to that of like okay you know you used to work for jabba and now you're trying to like run his empire you you know you got lost in the desert and got eaten by a monster and now you're sort of like clawing your way back and you know you were captured and enslaved by locals but now you've befriended them and gained their trust and and learn from them and taught them. So that was like a really cool theme that I that I liked, but I just wish they had sort of carried that through a little bit more because it felt like it kind of ended with episode four. They just kind yeah. of said, okay, now we've covered that. Let's do a bunch of action stuff, which was cool. But I think that was a good theme that maybe if they had carried that through a little bit more, it would have felt more satisfying. But yeah, overall, I, that was a positive. I... I had a couple of really, you know, bright moments from this series. Um, I think kind of in, in agreement to both of you, I think almost the buildup sure was as series speaking, I think the buildup <laughs> was almost better than the execution at the end. So I liked that they kind of killed two birds with one stone. I mean, the only time you ever saw Boba Fett in the original series was really him being this like stiff kind of intimidating protector, you know, in the back corner. You didn't really get to know him or what he was about. 
And same with the sand people. You don't really know the sand people. You just know that they're kind of these monsters out in the desert and they kind of do their own thing. And I feel like John Favreau took an opportunity to kill two birds with one stone. He said, hey, let's get to know Boba Fett because we don't know him. And let's get to know the sand people because we don't know them either. And so the fact that you saw this kind of upbringing of, or not upbringing, but this kind of this character development of Boba Fett within the sand people, and you got to understand them and their emotions and their culture and their family. I thought that was brilliant. And so episode two and three were really the highlights for me. I thought they were the best um, quote unquote investment that I had for the entire series. Cause I was so engulfed in understanding him a little bit more. I mean, episode one was awesome kind of figuring out, Hey, how did he escape? Or that might've been early episode two, but and, and afterwards, you know, the Mandalorian is always exciting, but knowing kind of his backstory of character development helped quite a bit. And the second thing that I, I had written down is kind of a huge positive. And once again, spoilers, we'll put it in the, you know, we'll put it as a warning, but the deep fake for Luke Skywalker was 10 times better than the CGI um, in the Mandalorian. And I'd learned, and I don't know if you guys follow these deep fake accounts, but there's like a popular Tom Cruise one. And it literally looks exactly like Tom Cruise. And apparently uh, John Favreau and the production team went to some deep fake enthusiasts from YouTube and got them to help him make this project so that it wouldn't be as bad as The Mandalorian. And I thought that was brilliant because when you saw Luke Skywalker, I mean, Mark Hamill is probably beside himself watching this because it, it was done very well. So I thought that the, the deep fake technology that they used for Luke was, was really well done. And then that kind of backstory, that character development in the beginning for Boba Fett and the Sand People, I really enjoyed that. I like that you mentioned, you know, uh, fleshing out the Sand People a bit more. Um, you know, a lot of these sort of expanded universe uh, shows and books and games um, take sort of a foundation built by the movies you know these characters that we know and like tell you a lot more about them and so like the mandalorian for example started that trend of like you know the sand people aren't just these savage monsters they have their own culture and ideas you know they believe that they are you know the the people who live on that planet and everyone else is an intruder and then you know fleshing that out even more in the mandalorian like showing you know, Boba Fett's struggle, like, like Roger mentioned, like the kind of uh, build up from nothing to like, you know, using the sand people and like learning from them and teaching them and then sort of like, you know, taking advantage of a bad situation and like improving it. Like he's very much a survivor, you know, which, which mm -hmm. you see from the very first scene of the show of him clawing his way out. And I think that was like really cool to see, like establishing Boba Fett is like this, like, survivor you know this driving force yeah and i think um i really kind of moving to the second half of this show the the mandalorian episodes i really enjoyed the whole i guess the mandalorian's own journey but i i thoroughly enjoyed all the throwbacks and specifically episode five to episode one you had him running the the pod race route from episode one he had he said wizard after drive flying the nabu starfighter you know um which if you missed the wizard reference that's from uh once anakin rides his pod race and he's talking to his friend he's like that's so wizard annie and so 
when he said that i was like oh man he said wizard so there was just a lot of cool throwbacks to that specific episode um r2d2 was in it you know so there was so many little references sprinkled out throwbacks to episode one and i think the only other one that did it as well as i think this one did it wasn't so like in your face like hey you need to appreciate this but it was there for the people who enjoyed it i think rogue one was the only other one that did it that well i feel like um one of my criticisms of you know han solo and the, the new trilogy that they came out with is it felt like the nostalgia was forced whereas these ones were like there's nostalgia like ahsoka's nostalgia but they didn't do it in a way where it's like hey you have to love this person remember them it's more like here's a character you know some of you haven't met her before some of you have some of you are freaking out but like it feels natural it feels part of the story and so i really liked their sort of adding nostalgia to it in a natural way that didn't feel like it was forced so yeah that was something i, I got liked. a quite i got a question and maybe you guys would know this do you know if if john favreau had a time schedule like a time frame that he had to get this series done by because it felt a little rushed um just like in the preparation and the storytelling and the development Whereas the Mandalorian, in my opinion, it felt pretty thought out. I mean, at least season one seemed exceptionally thought out compared to season one and maybe the only season of Boba Fett. But what do you guys think? Um, I'm reading here. It says uh, the production of Boba Fett started in December of 2020. So it had um, a, f a few months, you know, which I, I guess is pretty on par for the course, like, you know, Mandalorian was filmed in uh, a few months, I believe. This is this is something interesting um, that I wanted to bring up maybe later, but I'll bring it up now. Um, so actually, we were, Kevin and I, we were talking to my dad last week, and one of the neighbors um, of my of my parents, the house that we grew up in, in in Southern California, actually worked on the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. Um, <laughs> he works in Hollywood and, and does uh, he works on it's the apparatus or the technology is called the volume. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Spencer, mm -hmm. um, but the volume is a, it's a newer technology, but it basically allows them to create uh, like a, a digital set that can be changed, moved, altered, adjusted. And so this was used in the second season of Mandalorian and in the book of Boba Fett. And so it's uh it's called what's it called there's a specific name I ilm ilm is what it's called so the ilm technology allows them to they build a small set like they'll build uh you know there's a scene where ahsoka is going through these trees so they'll put some trees around her but then the background is like a giant forest with a dark cloudy sky that is all you know digital so what it allows them to do is speed up the filming process because they can just create a background and if they need to they can just green screen it and add it later um, but it really allows the actors to immerse themselves more in the filming and the acting because they're actually in a, a giant digital setting so um, yeah that was something maybe that's I, I know I was watching a little bit about this technology the other day and, and John Favreau was saying yeah, we're experimenting, we're trying new things. Like this has sped up filming a lot because, you know, we don't have to, we can just program it and we have an iPad that we can control it on and it makes things move a lot faster. So I don't know if that's contributed to maybe some of the reasons why it 
got moved along a little bit faster and maybe there were aspects of it that suffered but I think that's just something I thought that was really interesting to keep an eye on is that they're sort of trying to stay up to date with like cutting edge technology like the the volume and so maybe that that contributed to some of their efforts going towards that instead of you know other areas including maybe the story so well something as well as just kind of a a note to keep an eye on that same technology is uh, used in the batman the new batman film that's coming out so keep an eye on kind of the surroundings and the cinematography because they use the exact same technology they use that kind of dome which is really mm-hmm. cool on Disney plus they have a Mandalorian and I'm sure they have a Boba Fett, but it's like a behind the scenes like season mm-hmm. and you get to see them use this. And it's absolutely crazy the way that they use this set in comparison to, you know, props. And it's funny you mentioned that. I, I remember a story that they were telling, you know, talking about the behind the scenes, they had a meeting with some of the production, you know, people who hadn't seen the volume yet. And oh. like they, they had the meeting actually inside the volume and like, as everyone got up to leave, they changed it and everyone was like surprised. They thought it was a set. Like it had really? been built practically, like it, it shocked everybody because it looked so <laughs> real. <laughs> I, I think it was the scene from like inside the hangar, um, from the episode where they do the prison break, you know, he, in oh, Mandalorian, yeah. they have all the, the Bill Burr and yeah. So that that a lot of that those shots inside the hangar were filmed in the volume. So they had that set up and you know they were talking stuff after the meeting they changed it and everyone was like, "Whoa, you know, I didn't know this was a screen. I thought it was a set." <laughs> <laughs> so that well, just goes to show you how like how immersive it can be for mm-hmm. people inside of it. Definitely. I mean, I, I I guess my my initial question or my thought about like the series felt rushed was more actually in the story. Cause like, mm-hmm. right. The production looked great, you know? And I yeah. think they were able to speed the production because of that technology, but it more just like the story it almost felt like the first three episodes were so deep and maybe even the first four, they felt so thought out. And then it almost felt like they ran out of like ideas for Boba Fett himself. And they're like, okay, what can we include? That's relevant. Oh, the Mandalorian. Cause the Mandalorian's absolutely beloved. Oh, and Luke Skywalker, because we introduced him at the end of Mandalorian. I just didn't think that these two stories would intertwine as strong as they did. I would agree. I think uh, I think it clashed a little bit. Um, and I think I think we'll talk about the ending in a minute. But I want I, I kind of wanted to ask Kevin, like um, you obviously are more familiar with Boba Fett and sort of the, the real Star Wars lore of what happened to him, how. I know that he escaped from the Sarlacc pit. That was pretty much something that I had, I had read and known before going into the show, but I don't know much else. How accurate was the portrayal of Boba Fett in the show versus the actual like lore book story? Um, other than just escaping the Sarlacc pit and surviving, it's not at all based on anything I've ever read. Um, okay. and, and the legends is what they call it now. Or yeah, legends. Um, he escapes and he pretty much goes straight back to bounty hunting for a long time and eventually reconnects with his Mandalorian roots. At one point he becomes Mandalore um, of the leader of the planet. You know, he, he gets married. He has a daughter who's also Mandalorian. Hmm. Um, it's, it's extremely different. <laughs> okay. So is it safe to say that you could see him potentially coming back in the future of the 
these shows, Mandalorian, Boba Fett, do you think he'll come back or do you think they've kind of set the sun on his character and they'll stick with uh, I think the, the Mandalorian going forward? I definitely think we'll see him here and there throughout, you know, Mandalorian and then, you know, possibly in the uh, Rangers of the New Republic show, if that ever get, ends up getting made. Um, you know, he's he's obviously a big character and it's it's fun to see him, but I don't think we'll see any more Book of Boba Fett you know seasons yeah i think i agree i think I, I i like how spencer put it i don't think there was enough there to make a full show out of this story because basically it's like okay you know we've got the build up and it basically stops when he can't progress anymore because they're like okay we got to fight all these huts and these gangsters and, and all these people and then it's like well we need help Let's pause it for a couple episodes while we go figure out help and then we'll come back when you have the help and we'll do this big fight scene and, and ending episode. And then we'll say, all right, we won. That's kind of well, how, how many, I felt it went. How many episodes were there? Seven? Seven. Seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, cause if you think about it, the first four and then the seventh were about Boba, right? Mm-hmm. So you essentially had five full episodes, which seven already in itself is pretty minimal, especially mm-hmm. when it's a 35 minute per episode situation. And so I felt like, I don't know. I felt like maybe, you know, and this is, I'm no Star Wars enthusiast, so I might be completely off here, but I was like, okay, Boba is a bounty hunter. And that's what everybody remembered about Boba Fett. And so I thought they were going to dive in on that aspect, like Boba Fett as the bounty hunter not mm-hmm. as a ruler, not as a replacement to Jabba, but as like this almost similar to the Mandalorian, but almost like his comeback because you obviously wanted to know what happened to him with the beast, which was great. You know, I liked that they did a backstory with the sand people and how he was entrapped, but you almost thought that that victory or that satisfaction was going to come from him re, you know, refinding or like re, you know, visiting this, this band or Mandalorian situation and bounty yeah, hunter I, situation. I really like that you mentioned that because like you know the whole reason he became a bounty hunter was to follow in his father's footsteps i mean he's a literal clone and he idolized his father growing up and he learned everything he knew from him and it seems a bit strange for him to want to like sort of settle down and be like you know this sort of powerful figure you know uh as like a gangster um it was interesting like when in the first few episodes you know he kind of insists on doing things his own way you know they mentioned like oh normally you know Jabba was carried through the streets or things like that or he wouldn't do this personally he'd send somebody else and he's like well I'm not going to be like Jabba and I was like okay this is really cool this is this means he's going to like go out and like do some of his own bounty hunts and like you know basically do his own dirty work mm-hmm. and uh, he never really ended up doing that and I was a little disappointed at that because it seemed like that was the direction they were kind of pushing like oh, he's Boba Fett, you know, he can go out and fight with the best of them. And yeah. he didn't really do that up until the very, very end. I almost feel like it, it, it felt a little logistical. And what I mean by that is, I mean, they brought back the actor who played Django, you know, what Tamara that, Morrison, 19, 19 years ago. So that was like 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So you, you bring back this actor who's relatively old, you know, he's in great shape, but he's not he's in, 60. Yeah. Yeah. So he is in great shape for being 60 years old, but he's not Pedro Pascal. You know, Pedro Pascal is what early forties, maybe late thirties. And, and he's, he's mobile. He can, he could do a lot of his own stuff. 
And so when you cast a 60 year old as Boba Fett, you know, I think that was the problem that they had is they brought the nostalgia back and you're like, oh my God, that's the guy who played Django. But then you kind of remove the opportunity for him to be authentically Boba Fett, you know, to be this maybe what mid forties, early fifties, kind of like Stonewall Bruce Wayne type bounty hunter who knows what he's doing. And he's, ex you know, he's an expert. Whereas now it just felt like he, he kind of did all the talking and then um, Ming-Na Wen's character did all the, the fighting and all the, you know, the heavy work. So it, it felt a little off to me. I, I mean, like we saw him fight in Mandalorian and it was yeah, all yeah. true. Like I loved that fight scene. Yeah. It was brutal. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I remember in the behind the scenes, you know, um, Robert Rodriguez was talking about, cause he, he, uh, directed that episode and three episodes of Boba Fett. Um, he was talking about like, okay, this may be the last time we get to see Boba Fett on screen, you know, doing anything. So he's like, let's make it count. So if the Mandalorian is kind of this hunter, this almost assassin, um, I want Boba Fett to be more of a barbarian. And you really see that with like the Tuscan stick, you know, mm -hmm. just shattering stormtrooper armor and, you know, just take taking ass and taking names you know full-on <laughs> and mm -hmm. like um and obviously i don't think tamara morrison did all his own stunts you know for mandalorian but i would have liked to see that you know a bit more in the boba fett show and we didn't really get to yeah actually both tamara morrison and ming na wen both did the majority of their stunts for this show um oh, okay oh, that's awesome yeah so um Ming-Na Wen apparently has a history of being good with uh, martial arts and things like that. She's done other things and that's sort of something that she's worked on before. Um, apparently when they, they interviewed him, uh, they took, he went, they went to his, uh, his house and he has tons of weapons and, and different workout machines and stuff. So he stays in shape. Like he's, he's in pretty good shape for being 60. Right. And doing all those stunts. Cause he's flying around with a jetpack and you know, obviously there's a bunch of fight scenes, especially the one with Cad Bane, where he's doing some pretty, you know, extensive stuff. But yeah, at the, at the end of the day, it felt like he kind of sat back and like you said, kind of did what Jabba would do. And he didn't really get fully involved until the end when he had to. And even then there was, there was a lot of help. So I think um, I was going to ask you too, Kevin, um, maybe bringing in a little bit of the Mandalorian show, but in these specific episodes, they condensed the Mandalorian story very quickly, but there was a lot, I think, in there to unpack. How, how accurate is all the Mandalorian portrayal with actual Mandalorian lore? And I know Dave Filoni has been involved in this, and he's sort of the, the, no, the be-all, end-all of Star Wars knowledge and lore and stuff like that. But how, uh, how accurate was sort of Mandalorian lore in general portrayed? Um, just in Book of Boba Fett? Or, yeah, Book of Boba Fett, but also you can, including the Mandalorian, because you know there's a so, lot of there's a lot of tradition, especially in Episode Five when he goes back with the dark saber and he fights for, you know, the other guy for the honor and and for the honor to wield it. Um, so unlike Boba Fett, like the sort of Mandalorian culture that you see a lot throughout, you know, the Mandalorian and then also in Book of Boba Fett, is actually fairly accurate, if not exactly accurate, to a lot of the things you see in Clone Wars and then also in the books and things. Um, if you really like uh, Mandalorian uh, culture and want to read more about that, the Republic Commando books are a great uh, sort of introduction and comp comprehensive uh, look at, you know, Mandalorian culture and language and things. Cause 
Uh, if you don't know, the Republic Commandos are a batch of unaltered clones similar to Boba Fett who were mm-hmm. trained by a Mandalorian called Cal Skirata. And um, he also teaches them Mandalorian culture along with, you know, uh, battle tactics and things like that. And you even see like Mandalorian words and different things like that. So um, if anyone out there wants to, you know, totally geek out on Mandalorian like I do, uh, go read the Rebel Commander books because they are amazing. Um, but as far as like, you know, not removing your helmet, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, in Mandalorian season two, you know, you see the, the divide between like, Bo-Katan and her sort of party and then Mm -hmm. the Mandalorian himself Um, and you know the first thing they do when they see him is take off their helmets and he's really taken aback by that so um, for those who don't know uh, so he's part of they call him a child of the watch referencing death watch which is a a splinter group of Mandalorians that went that were sort of banished and live on Mandalore's moon called Concord Dawn and they sort of uphold this old-fashioned warrior tradition where, you know, it's strength through glory and honor and battle. You know, it's all about fighting. Their entire culture is about fighting. I, I, I believe it was originally based on, like, uh, ancient Spartans. You know, the idea that these young kids would be taught, you know, warlike ways at a very young age. And if they weren't out, like, fighting and conquering, that they were really uncomfortable. Um, and that's contrasted with the new Mandalore which is more like trying to be uh, more easily incorporated into like the galaxy as a whole. You know, you see that in Clone Wars a lot. Um, You know, Bo-Katan and her sister, uh, Duchess Satine, are very much of that like sort of new ideology that, you know, we need to get rid of these old warrior ways and like not, you know, be as warlike and, you know, fight everybody. You know, we need to be this like diplomatic power in the galaxy and like actually you know, have allies and be more active politically and diplomatically rather than just, you know, through conquer- conquest. And so it's, um, so a lot of the old traditional things you see, like not removing your helmet and these sort of trial by combat, you know, um, those are all very like old fashioned Mandalorian traditions and, and things. So it was very accurate from what I could tell. Very cool. I, I have one major question and, and maybe this, and, you know, I was watching the last episode or the second last episode with my brother and, you know, you see Yoda's lightsaber, right? So that comes out and I was like, wait a second, because he lost that in his fight, you know, in episode three. And so I'm curious, where did Yoda's lightsaber come from and why didn't they expand on that storyline? Because I know that's probably a common curiosity for many fans or many viewers. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't think we know the answer yet because that was a big reveal in the show. Um, I don't, to my knowledge, I don't know exactly what happened to Yoda's lightsaber after his duel with Palpatine in episode three. Um, so that's kind of a cool uh, throwback. I, I don't know if we'll ever see how exactly it got there, but it was cool to see it show up again. Yeah, I was reading like some theories about, you know, Yoda had a second lightsaber and once again, you know, these, it, whether these theories are true or not, it, it doesn't take away from the fact that they didn't expand on it. And maybe they will, right? Maybe they will in the Mandalorian season three. Um, and who knows? But it was so interesting to me because when they brought that out, yeah, like the fan inside of me was like, oh my God, that's Yoda's lightsaber. But then I was like, wait a second, you know, how did that, how did that get? Now there? you're thinking, you 
<laughs> it's impossible so, even for a computer. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was very intrigued by that. Um, you know, and that's where I said, you know, when you create this original story within a popular franchise, there are going to be gaps, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, a small thing, maybe it's, you know, bigger to some people than most, but that's a small thing. I'm sure there were certain moments with Jabba and Jabba's family and his cousins and whatever the case may be. But then there are also moments like Kevin was saying with the Mandalorian where they're like on, on par, you know, they're like, Hey, everything they're kind of showing on the, you know, on the show or in the TV series is pretty much exactly what, you know, you, you read about in, in these other books that are available. But yeah, I just thought that was an interesting thought I wanted to bring up with you. I didn't know if there was a book that mentioned something on it or, or whatnot. Nope. Not not that I know. (laughs) Okay. I think um, if we do see it somewhere, It'll, like you said, it'll either be in the next season of Mandalorian or there is an Ahsoka show that's in production. And I'm, I'm curious to see if, if Luke will feature in that. Because like, uh, that's another thing I really loved about this show was seeing Ahsoka talk to Luke Skywalker. Like just seeing both of them in the same frame, like talking to each other was a really special moment for me. Because like, you know, I've seen all of Clone Wars, all of Rebels, you know, I've seen... Um, Anakin train Ahsoka and then you know go to fall to the dark side you know it, it like I had to come to this realization like I was like she's older than he is like we think of like Jedi Grandmaster Luke Skywalker you know like the best Jedi ever but like she's had more training and more experience with the force than he has which is kind of funny to think um, the guy Anakin who trained her is his dad so it's kind of a cool like relationship between them and anyway that was just the fan inside me loved that scene. <laughs> well, I literally thought the same exact thing. <laughs> didn't she have a line where she was like, you're so like your father? Did she? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. yeah. It, and I thought it was interesting too that they they share this bond with having known Anakin, but two very different versions of him, like two very different experiences with him because she was the Padawan and he was sort of the protagonist to Darth Vader's antagonist. So, you know, the just kind of they come together, but like they both share this this connection with a person but the person was totally different so it's just really strange relationship that i thought was it was cool to see but the fact that she's getting her own show i think is going to be really interesting i wonder what time period it will be in if it will be closer to you know when the clone wars ended or if it'll be more around this time period i think um so i think a lot of the purpose of the book of Boba Fett was to kind of bring a lot of these characters together. And mm-hmm. I think, and this is just, you know, sort of wild speculation, but all of these shows that are coming out, you know, book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian, Ahsoka, Rangers of the New Republic, they're all sort of building toward this. Um, I, don't, I don't want to call it like infinity war, but like this big crossover where they all join up at the end and, you know, take on some, you know, greater threat. Um, I know, in the the episode of Mandalorian where we first saw Ahsoka, um, she's um, contending with uh, the magistrate. I think was mm-hmm. her title. Um, the the lady who in that town who had the Beskar spear, um, and after she takes it and you know defeats her, she's she asks about Thrawn, Admiral Thrawn, and if you know you haven't read the books, you probably have no clue who that is. Um, that's uh, the emperor's top naval officer. He commands, um, you know, basically the entire empire's fleet. He's a tactical genius. You know, there's a lot of books about him, about, you know, 
just how scary he is. <laughs> like um, he's a, he's a chiss. So um, they're, they look like humans, but they have blue skin, red eyes. Um, and um, he's like a main protagonist and, or antagonist in rebels um, Star Wars rebels, the show. And so a lot of people are speculating that the Ahsoka show will be about her sort of tracking down and uh, you know, defeating Thrawn. So I would like to see that, but huh. again, we don't know for sure. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious because, I mean, if you think of one, ever since Star Wars was, you know, taken over by Disney, they've been one of the most marketable, you know, sagas, companies, film series, whatever you want to call it. One of the most popular, you know, things. Franchises. <laughs> yeah, franchises um, than, you know, that we've seen. And I feel like the most, you know, popular item slash character slash object has been Grogu. Mm-hmm. But I kind of have a controversial question. Do you feel like we had too much Grogu and Boba Fett because he kind of manipulated the end of that season or the the last episode rather than the focus being on Boba and, and Mando for that matter? But what do you guys think? So the short answer is yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we do see too much Grogu both in uh, Mandalorian and uh, Boba Fett. You know, I, I enjoy... Grogu I like the whole story and the relationship between him and the Mandalorian but I do think he was sort of uh like the face of the show for really most of it in the entirety of it and it's like this is the Mandalorian and like I I get that you know I'm a bit biased you know I really enjoy Mandalorian you know stories and legends and stuff but I also think Grogu was sort of essential to bring in um a lot of uh the more casual star wars fans i guess you could say you know Mm -hmm. it's like you know um you know i have relatives and co-workers who are not huge star wars fans but they went and saw the mandalorian show and grogu was their favorite part there was the reason (laughs) they kept watching it and they enjoyed the rest of the story because grogu was sort of this you know trojan horse it's like look at this cute baby and then here's a bunch of deep star wars lore (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think sort of my thought on it I think he was sort of a, I guess this would be a good way to good point to transition into some of the, the, maybe the cons that we have or the critiques that we have of the show, but uh, of the season. But um, I think he was a convenient a convenient crutch for a lot of the problems they got into, especially in that final episode. Um, And you've seen this throughout the Mandalorian as well, where it's like, Oh no, what do we do? It's like, and then you get this tiny hand that comes up and like uses the force and conveniently, fixes the problem right um and i think it is nice that he's in there and and brings in the fans and i i wouldn't say completely remove him but in a show called the book of boba fett i feel like the last episode there was if you showed someone the last episode and said who is this show about you'd probably struggle a little bit to figure to point to one person and i think in a finale the the finale had great action it had great um like it, it was well put together the whole episode but again, coming back to the story and sort of the character development, I feel like it was a little muddy there and like, okay, this show is about Boba Fett, the Mandalorian, you know, Grogu, Baby Yoda, like there's so many characters and so many people in here. Oh, it's Cad Bane. Oh, it's Ahsoka. Oh, it's Luke. Like, who's this show about now? And and I feel like it didn't really end with a clear Boba Fett ending. It was like, everyone kind of does their own thing and we'll leave it open for a sequel with Boba Fett. But it 
you know, it's going to go back to Mandalorian and baby Yoda or Grogu. So, yeah, I felt like the ending was exceptionally anticlimactic, uh, mainly because I felt like they had a lot to, to actually round up on, like probably mm-hmm. even another episode's worth because, you know, you see, once again, I'm always going to forget her name, but Ming-Na Wen's character. Um, Fennec Shand. <laughs> yeah, Fennec Shand. She goes <laughs> to, uh, um, you know, to essentially the villains, you know, mm-hmm. and she takes him out within seconds, like literally mm-hmm. seconds and is the most anticlimactic scene. And that's the whole, that's the scene you kind of wait for the entire time. And she goes and takes him out. And I'm like, this just happened. Like there was no, there was no standoff, no conversation, no, you know, not even Boba Fett being there. You know, there's just all these different things where I just felt like they, they pushed the ending so fast where I was like, wow, wait, is that over? Or is there like a a second part to this episode? I just didn't feel like they wrapped it up. Whereas the end of every Star Wars film, you know that they're wrapping up. You know, they'll take the 20 minutes and have the little Ewok dance party or whatever. Like, you know that they're wrapping things up. Whereas in Boba Fett, I felt like they went from 100% of action to like 0% within a matter of seconds rather than letting it slowly die off with a good transition but it was just a, it was a little bit of a weird ending for me. I think that scene where she assassinates all the leaders and sort of that's the tie up, right? Because there's no one left to sort of oppose him. Yeah, I think I think that that scene was great, but it was out of context in the show um, because it reminds me of I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Um, for for those of you who don't know, it's a movie where he's a retired uh, sniper. And he gets coaxed out of retirement by some guys from the government to help them stop an assassin. Um, spoiler alert, they're actually the ones trying to do the assassination and frame him. And so the very end of the movie, you know, he sort of, sort of stands this private trial within the government. And the, the bad guys, these senators, these corrupt politicians, they just get away because they have money and power. And the final, the final sort of encounter with the guys in court because they agree with him. They're like, yeah, you've been wrongfully, you know, accused. You've been wrongfully put here. They're obviously the terrible people that they are, you know, covering up murders of, of women and children to make money. And, you know, we just need someone. Sometimes you just need someone to clean up the streets, like in the wild West. And then the final scene is like this epic, all these corrupt guys are together. They're laughing about it in their private cabin and how, you know, they got away with it. And then they just start getting, you know, assassinated by Mark Wahlberg's character who just comes under the floor of the cabin. He's shooting people, he slitting throats and stuff. And he comes in and bl- murders all of them and blows up the cabin. And you're, so, it's so satisfying. Cause you're like, this is great. You know, he got the bad guys. Like that conflict was built up. And like, at the end, it's like, yeah, there was enough of like conflict and in, in this interaction between these two parties that assassinating everyone at the end and cleaning up the story felt satisfying. Whereas I feel like, again, in Boba Fett, it, it wasn't developed and flushed out enough for that scene to really hit home. Like if, if there had been this constant conflict, those guys were in, you know, more than half the episodes, they're constantly having these interactions. Then that scene is really cool because they, you know, maybe they're like laughing about, oh, yeah, you know, we got away with everything. Like, look at that, you know, Cad Bane won and, you know, Boba Fett's done. And then she comes in and kills them and they have this like, our, you know, what, like moment and then you know, they're dead. I think that would be a lot more satisfying than just, well, we got all these guys we need to kill. Let's have Fennec Shan go in there and clean up the house and 
now we can call it a, a clean town and Boba Fett gets to rule in peace. Yeah, so it just felt like the... Oh, go um, ahead. Was, yeah, real quick. I just thought, because you made a good point where you're like, it was out of context. And I feel like the reason why, at least for me, that it felt out of context is because they, they, maybe not overly enhanced, but they enhanced those scorpion droids like quite like throughout the entire last episode. So those almost felt like the major villain at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, I almost forgot who the major villain was because these scorpion droids were almost impossible to defeat. And so the fact when they defeated those, that's when you're like, oh, thank God it's over. All right, they, they won. Yeah. And then you're like, oh wait, there's actually like the main villain that they need to go after. And then they just like, you know, all got assassinated within seconds. You're like, oh, oh I guess, yeah, I, yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that works. Okay, cool. So I think that's where I felt like it was out of context. So I think you make a great point because I was like, these scorpion droids became the main villain in the last episode because they were so impossible. And then you were like, wait, there is a villain to actually kill here. And then it happened so quickly. So that's all I wanted to mention because it was all over the place for me. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. Like you said, the hang on, uh, they're called the Scorpionic droids, I think. Oh, okay, but- yeah, sorry. No, no, I, I'm not correcting. I, I didn't even know either because I don't think they mentioned it in the show. Um, but like, like you said, you know, they were felt more of a real villain because, you know, the first few times you see them, they're unopposed. You know, they can't touch them and they're scary and they're a big threat. And like you contrast that with like the Pikes, for example, um, the first time you really see them doing anything is when the Tuscans take over their train and, you know, this scrappy band of, you know, Tuscan natives and Boba Fett take their entire train, you know, steal all their cargo and let them go. And they look like total chumps. And then the second time you really see a conflict with them or the the other one I was thinking of is uh, the beginning of episode six, where Cobb Vanth, you know, takes out four of them and, you know, lets the other guy walk off and then kicks over their spice. So far, they haven't really done anything threatening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good and, point. Like, at, at the very end, you know, they all get killed. And like you said, it's super out of context and unsatisfying because they haven't really had any buildup up That's until then. Point. And then even um, having Fennec kill him, it's like that didn't even do anything to serve her character. You know, she's an assassin. That's what she does. Um, it's funny, as you were talking about that scene from Shooter, it actually reminded me a lot of another scene from Star Wars um, at the end of episode three, when Anakin's cutting his way through all the separatist leaders, you know, that's sort of, you know, on their side, you know, their separatist leaders are never really a threat. They're always sort of made fun of and they're a bit bumbling and they don't do right, anything right, especially in, in Clone Wars. You know, they, they just are never threatening. Um, but that the point isn't about them. It's about Anakin and like the change that happens in him, you know, like the Anakin, you know, a few years ago would never have slaughtered a whole room like that. And it's to show his change. And so from both the villain side, the people who are getting killed, and even um, the mayor, you know, the Athorian mayor, who we see one time before then, you know, you know, they go to meet with him and he says, you know, I didn't order the hit on them. You know, maybe you're not looking at the big picture. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, maybe there's some like big crime syndicate behind this. Maybe even somebody, you know, famous from, you know, the deep, you know, corridors of Star Wars lore that's going to come out of the woodwork and be this big um antagonist like um if i were to rewrite it i would have made cad bane right. the big bad villain and have him be sort of in the same position as boba fett sort of leading his own criminal empire 
while still, you know, you know, doing some of his own dirty work and getting involved. Um, that would have been really cool to see like the mayor basically pointing to Cad Bane and saying like, hey, he made me do it. He's threatening me. You know, maybe if you free this, this city from his control, then, you know, we can all get along. But the mayor really didn't do anything ever, despite being this sort of, you know, like antagonistic figure. And then just like the Pike heads was just slaughtered, you know, without any kind of dialogue. Mm -hmm. No, those are great points. And I, I like you pointing back to the fact that the Pikes never created much conflict. Like their whole draw was like, oh, he didn't know we killed his Tuscan family. And then he knew the whole time. So it was like, yeah, like none of this is really, you know, it's not creating enough conflict to make the resolution meaningful. I think that was the big, the big uh, misstep. And I agree. I think making Cad Bane sort of the guy behind the scenes who was pulling all the triggers and maybe at the end, leaving him alive and creating sort of a second book of Boba Fett show with him and Cad Bane being at the forefront would be a lot better of a resolution than, than killing him at the end of this season. And now it doesn't feel like he really has much to do unless the Mandalorian it gets in trouble and needs his help, which is probably how they're going to bring him back. So I would agree. I think those are great points. Um, I was just looking up who was uh, who's playing Cad Bane. And apparently he's been the same guy who played him in the TV series from 2008 to 2020. So mm -hmm. in the Clone Wars. So that's kind of cool that it's Corey Burton. He's the same. Yeah. Same voice actor and everything. So that's cool. And just to go off of that, I really enjoyed seeing Cad Bane in that show. Like it was a total fit, you know. You see him in episode six coming out of the desert, full oh, on yeah. cowboy with the hat. You know, even if you don't know who Cad Bane is, he made a great entrance. And mm -hmm. like I said, I only wish they would have used him a little bit more because he was sort of, I don't even know if uh, the creators were a bit afraid to put him in there too much because people who hadn't seen Clone Wars obviously don't know exactly who he is. But um, he did make a great entrance. You know, I, I wish. I'm conflicted because I, I do like Cobb Vanth, but I almost wish they would have kept him dead. You know, you, I don't know if you guys watched after the credits of episode seven, but you see Cobb Vanth in Boba's back to tank, you know, showing yeah, that yeah, he I survived. That. So well, we, my brother and I have kind of a running joke because if you remember the original, I think it was the sixth, the sixth film um, where you have that little creature. It's like Boba, you know, like that, like super oh. just disgusting voice or whatever. Oh, Salacious Crumb? I, I don't know. I don't know. Is it the, guy in, is it the guy in Jabba's Palace? The little. No, yeah, it's yeah, um, yeah. Oh, wait. It's uh, Bib Fortuna. Oh. oh, yeah. The guy with the thing wrapped The guy who him. sits on his, his throne. Oh, right? okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, we make this running joke because you have that. And then in episode seven, you hear Cad Bane's like, Boba. <laughs> Just <Yeah>. like super, <laughs> super intense. You're like, oh my God. All right. Here we go, Cad Bane. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, I thought he was a great character. I think he should have been the main antagonist because he was threatening. You know, he's not he was the only threatening one. Yeah, especially <laughs> when he did go to that little town and, and pretty much wipe the town. That's when you're like, okay, this guy is definitely top dog bounty hunter, you know? Mm -hmm. So to your point, he was pretty much the only threatening one. <laughs> do you think uh, it would have been better if they left him alive and carried it on? Or do you think it was, do you think... Boba Fett killing him was a satisfying death because I mean he was throughout all of Clone Wars and he didn't die so to kill him in you know one episode and some change uh, was that satisfying enough or do you think he should have stayed alive longer 
So I do think having Boba sort of conquer him in the last episode is a great ending for Boba Fett if Mm -hmm. we had had the proper buildup for it. So like, let's say episode five was, you know, let's say, because like we see the, at the very beginning of episode five, you know, the Mandalorian goes in there and into the uh, Clatoonian, you know, sort of butcher shop and takes the bounty. I wish he would have gone straight from that to like having Fennec show up on the sort of ring world he was on and mm-hmm. saying, hey, Boba needs your help. And then immediately, you know, she, let's say she has her own ship. She picks him up. They go back, you know, continue to build up Boba Fett. You know, maybe they like tease Cad Bane a little bit before then. And then like have Boba sort of maybe have a fight with him and lose, but not die. And then like at the very end, like they have, you know, this sort of epic battle. I did actually like the the fight between Cad Bane and Boba Fett. It could have been probably a little bit better, but overall... I liked the sort of, you know, back and forth with the gadgets and then finally taking him out with the Tuscan stick that he made himself. Like, mm-hmm. I think that was very satisfying. So, like I said, I, I think the fight itself was good. I think it would have been made infinitely better if we had had the proper buildup for the relationship between those two characters. Yeah, I think that's kind of the the storyline with Boba Fett is I think if the, if they expanded more on, you know, introducing characters and character development and the relationships with certain characters... I think they would have been a little bit more satisfying. Once again, you know, if, if we bring a bit kind of full circle, I think it's absolutely brilliant that they brought the Mandalorian and Boba Fett to Disney Plus. The fact that they created these series is absolutely crazy to me. But, you know, in, in contrast to the Mandalorian, where there's so much emotion felt, there's so much development with his character alone, not only just the story itself, but of him. I felt like with Boba Fett and the, the new characters that were introduced, there's so little of everything. I felt like the only ones to me that I fully like felt attached to were the sand people. I was like, when the sand people died, I was like, wow, I actually feel like mm-hmm. I feel this sad kind of emotion, this depression for him. But apart from that, you know, I, I, Cad Bane, you know, I think the scene was actually well done, but to your point, there was no buildup to it. So it kind of made it anticlimactic you know, with the, the Pike syndicate, you know, like there was no buildup. So it was like, once they died, you're like, okay, cool. I guess they were the villains and it's over. So if they did a little bit more expansion on character development and understanding the character storylines and the backstories, I think the series would have been really, really good. Um, but because they didn't, you know, it's a series that was exciting. It was a series I was looking forward to, but unfortunately one that kind of disappointed me a little, a little bit. Yeah. I think, one question I, I wanted to just throw out was, uh, do you think overall the show was a success? Um, and what does that mean going forward for sort of these um, Disney plus side stories that they're doing? Because obviously, you know, we had the, they did the new trilogy, seven, eight, nine, they did rogue one, which I think has been the best thing they've done since they've rebooted star Wars. Uh, they did solo They've done Mandalorian. They've done Star Wars Visions, which um, if you haven't seen that, um, I think there's three great episodes, three okay episodes and three not so great episodes. But, you know, they gave creative um, ability to different anime studios and let them each kind of make Star Wars how they saw fit. So it's all very much like let's let creative people be creative in the Star Wars universe is really what they're trying to do. Um, But what do you guys think going forward and sort of based on the heels of Boba Fett, obviously they're making a bunch of things and there's another Mandalorian season coming, but overall, do you think it was a success and how do you think this affects Star Wars going forward? Um, I 
I think overall the show did exactly what it set out to do. You know, it, it brought Boba Fett back to life. It told us how he got there. Um, it connected to the Mandalorian, which we had already seen, you know, him in the end of Mandalorian season two. Um, it could have been better, but I really enjoyed the show overall. I'm glad it got made. And um, I have seen, you know, some some articles and YouTube videos. People have their fair criticisms of it. But I think overall, it was really good for Star Wars. And it's sort of setting this precedent for, you know, um, letting people, like you said, letting creative people make decisions and, you know, just make what they want in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I mean, I think, and Roger and I have talked about, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and their score and how we don't really, you know, we don't base a lot off of that. And I actually like IMDb because it's more of a, you do see the critic review, but it's more of a kind of a viewer review. Um, But one thing I found interesting, I just barely looked this up, is if you look at, you know, just the audience score from Rotten Tomatoes, right? So what if, and this is just with Disney Plus shows. So what if got a 95%? Mandalorian season one, 92%, Hawkeye, 92%, Loki, 91%, WandaVision, 88%, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, 85%. And then you have the the Book of Boba Fett, which got a 65%. So though, Hmm. you know, critically, it actually did, it did well critically, but from a viewer standpoint, I think there's kind of this, you know, this feeling that's pretty similar with a lot of viewers. I was like, man, you know, I was excited and I, I was glad they made it. I was really happy they made it but I was a little underwhelmed by what they provided, but I don't think anybody regrets watching it. I don't think anybody regrets them making it. I think they're happy. They did make it. I think they just probably, I mean, I'm at least speaking for myself. I wanted a little bit more. I was hoping for a little bit more, but I am glad they made it. And especially if you're a Mandalorian fan, you kind of need to watch this because it ties into everything, but um, yeah, a little underwhelmed, but glad they made it. For sure, I, I would I would echo what you both said. I think um, I think honestly, the thing I've heard the most hate for is the the biker gang, the mods. Like the <laughs> I've I've seen videos and memes of the the guy doing the spin and shooting in the final episode. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the oh yeah, uh, just the unnecessary spin. So I think you know, actually, I think if they just took out the mods a lot of people would have been more okay with it. Cause that's like the biggest criticism for a lot of people I've heard. Like the one thing that they just, they can't get behind. And, uh, and Kevin probably knows this better than I do, but this they're based off of something George Lucas previously did. So they're in there for a reason. Um, what, what was it again? Was it something he made or like an idea he had? Um, I just saw a quick uh, article about it. I have to look it up again, but it was inspired by an older film that either George Lucas worked on or um, uh, let's see. But they, they uh, I felt like they were irrelevant. And then in the final episode, it's like, we need to come up with a reason for these guys to matter. Cause they started dying. And I was like, <laughs> okay, like, <laughs> well, I was waiting know. for that main guy to use his eye, dude. I was like, you have it there for a reason. Let's use it. You know, yeah, yeah. it's kind of funny. They were these cyborgs that, never once were made any different by the cybernetics they had like um like fennec was more influenced by her you know cyborg parts than they were and it was just because it saved her life Mm -hmm. like (laughs) and i don't even think the main girl had any cybernetic implants i don't (laughs) i didn't notice any yeah they they were definitely the most underwhelming part 
I think of the show and, and it just felt like they were trying to come up with reasons to make them in the scenes, but there was really no need for them at all. Um, and the same thing, like the townspeople, they showed up in the end. It's like, well, there's these giant scorp scorponek droids or whatever they're called. Uh, you guys are pretty much useless against them. So now we have to go back to the people, Boba Fett, the Mandalorian, you know, Grogu to solve these problems. Um, Cause I will, they killed their own okay. Scorpion droid and then they went and killed the other one. So it's like, you guys really didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I think one thing that Boba Fett ha will do, which is a major positive, which is what I think happened with death on the Nile compared to murder on the Orient express is they'll learn a lot from this. I think John Favreau will learn a lot by implementing a whole different series. If you think about it, he's only made the Mandalorian before Boba Fett and it was such a test. It was a trial and it did well. And he's like, great, mm -hmm. we'll learn from the first season and we'll implement it to the second season. But when you make a completely different series within the same film franchise, there's a lot to learn from, okay, what did we do well from this one that did not contra did not compare to the other one or vice versa. And I think this will help them moving forward because there's a lot of star Wars stuff coming out a lot, you know, and I think mm -hmm. Kevin would know that better than all of us, but there's a lot <laughs> coming out and it's exciting, you know, especially with, you know, the Obi-Wan series that's coming out. Yep. There, there's a lot to look forward to, but I think this is a great stepping stone to say, hey, here's what we did right. Here's what we did wrong. Maybe we need to do a couple of reshoots here for our other series. Maybe we don't, um, but I think it'll help in the long run. Yeah, I think there was a lot less pressure on this Book of Boba Fett series to be exceptional because they are experimenting. And the nice thing is Boba Fett, like you said, he was only in the original trilogy a couple of times. And yeah. even when he was in there, he wasn't, he was just kind of this representation of like what a menacing bounty hunter can be. He never really had any character development. And so you have this sort of blank slate character you can develop. Obviously he was in the last season of the Mandalorian, but we still didn't know a lot about him. He was just kind of a plug in like, okay, we need some help with the action. Here's this sort of feared character from before. He can sort of step in and just fill that role without needing much of a backstory. Cause you just, assume oh it's Boba Fett he can handle it and so I think it was I think to your point it's it's great because it also shows people you know you can come here you can come to Disney you can come to Star Wars and you can be creative um, and we'll let you do it you know it, it may not always work perfectly or be excellent but it's more about you know they have all these different directors it's it's hard to create a show and have consistency when you have different directors even if they are all on the same page um, there are definitely points in Mandalorian both seasons where there was a bit of disjointedness um, and it's just different directors having different styles and wanting to tell the story in a different way, which I think is really cool. Uh, but that's just sort of comes with the territory. Like you said, they're pioneering. They're trying to develop Star Wars world out through TV shows. So it's not limited to a movie where you have to create a story and wrap it up in the end. It's like, we can just kind of leave this open and then continue it next season. So I think, I think, I think Kenobi has enormous pressure to get it right because that one's bringing back a character. Everyone knows a character. Everyone loves there's expectations that are super high because, you know, everyone knows and loves Obi-Wan whereas Mandalorian was sort of this blank slate almost that you could just make into whatever you want. And people couldn't really say, you know, Oh, that's not how he was in the original movie. Cause there's not much to base it on. True. Kevin, any last thoughts, man? Uh, I'm just, like I said, I'm just super happy the show got made. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 
very satisfied with it. I'm, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Yeah. Is, is uh, Kenobi the next star Wars related content coming out? Yes. It comes out in May. So very okay. soon. Okay. I'm Cause excited. I know they're, they're <laughs> making squadrons and, and these or is it squadrons? Um, I think it might just be called X-Wing. I'd have to look it up again. They, I know they have a bunch of shows coming out, but I, I was like, I think Obi-Wan or I think Kenobi is the next Star Wars related show to come out. Um, obviously, Moon Knight is in March, so that's the next big show on Disney Plus. But that should be wrapping up when when Kenobi comes out. So very exciting. Well, and I'm excited because it looks like there's there's only six episodes in Kenobi, um, but it's, oh. so it's, it's directed by Deborah Chow, who also did Mandalorian. She did two episodes. She did Better Call Saul, Mr. Robot. So she she has some good um, kind of some good background to her, but I like that she's doing all six episodes. That's important. So, yeah, and I'm I'm really excited about that because I think you nailed it on the head. I think the kind of the consistency with I mean you have great directors, right? The Mandalorian had Taika Waititi. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. you know. So there were great directors, you know. But when you use different perspectives different people in any facet they're you're going to get a different result and a different story in one way or another so the fact that they're they're using one director i think they should probably maybe do that moving forward but once again i'm not you know i'm no expert in that field so i'm sure they have their reasons but i think that'll that'll be a huge benefit for the kenobi series yeah and i think you know like if you're going to bring back these tried and true characters I think, like you said, having one director would really benefit it because it would create a more cohesive story, which is more important than in Obi-Wan than it would have been in Boba Fett. Um, Because if Obi-Wan felt like Boba Fett, where it's like, first three episodes are about Obi-Wan, and then we're going to spend two episodes, you know, following um, Uncle Owen, you know, then we come back (laughs) to to Kenobi at the end. It's like, okay, this is kind of weird, but I think that will have a more consistent story because it has more pressure and also it's featuring a character we know and love. So, yeah, but overall um, my final thoughts would be uh, again, I think it's, it's great. I I said this about Dune. I've said this about other movies and shows. Um, I just think it's awesome to keep making things in sort of sci-fi fantasy. You know, there's so much untapped potential out there in books and other media, uh, other mediums that, that can be made into great stories and adapted to the screen and reach a larger audience. So I think going forward, you know, Boba Fett's kind of a, an obscure, not well used character in the original trilogy that got an entire show made for him. So I'm, I'm excited to see who else could potentially show up, who they're going to create. Um, and I think they're going in the right direction. You know, they've got amazing technology, amazing people working on this. So I think it'll be positive going forward and there'll probably be a couple bumpy, shows and products they put out like this but overall i think people will come away happy that they they watched and happy it was made yeah i mean i once again you know for all star wars and non-star wars fans who decided to listen let us know your thoughts i mean we brought kevin on who you know has shared things that i've never even heard of before in my entire <laughs> life regarding star wars and it's it's always a pleasure because when you whenever you can learn you're you're growing right so if i can mm-hmm. learn something new about film or a series or a story or even a perspective you know let us know reach out once again we are on instagram we created our you know our our instagram profile so we're, we're posting things every day on our stories we're sharing our episodes 
but we always appreciate feedback and comments. And if you're also intrigued by a certain TV show that's been popular that we will do a, you know, a review on down the road, keep us in mind because, you know, we'd love to have you on or, or love to have your thoughts, but yeah, thank you for chiming in and Kevin, thanks for joining us, man. I mean, you added yeah. a lot of value and we appreciate having you on the show. No problem. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Until All next right, time. guys. Yeah. Thank, until next time. Thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next week. May the force be with you.